Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The West Side Fairy Tales is a dark fiction and horror podcast. The story you are about to hear is violent and disturbing. Exercise discretion before listening. Previously, on Scars and Time. On the day of her 47th birthday, Ash Littletree is beset by three visions. A teenage girl who might have been her daughter, a horrifying nightmare encounter with a doctor in a hospital elevator, and a chance encounter with an infamous painting. She decides to take her daughter and get away from Mike, fleeing, going anywhere, anywhere he can't find. She finds a typewriter, which she thinks will maybe help her start writing again. In it is a little note, for service is rendered. It's just an old hunk of junk Mike dumps on the table one day, covered in dust. It's magic. It's a distraction. They both use it. She finds herself in a life like she's always wanted. No Mike, perfect freedom, a little fame to boot. She's trapped in an alternate reality, one where she was too chicken shit to defend herself. It's a nightmare she has to claw her way out of. It's a dream she has to creep her way into. Both of them are dreaming. Only one can wake up. The typewriter is ringing. Scars in Time, Chapter 20, The End. voice barely audible over the din of the surging typewriter. It crashed down over us like a wave, drowning them and filling me with its noise. I had to grab my wrist to keep my fingers from twitching along with the keystrokes. I could hear them. I knew each one of them from the others. Despite the volume, despite the intensity, I could discern the slightest squeak of the underused Q key, the rapid descent of the loose arm on the S. I could hear the story forming word by word around me, filling me with the scents and sights and sounds, making my brain all but pulse with secret knowledge. Stop her! The muse screamed. Ashley echoed the sentiment, but her voice was lost to the maelstrom. I could feel the Umbrella Man looming behind me, fingers outstretched, but he couldn't touch me. Wouldn't, for whatever reason. Despite my injuries, I pushed on. My bones, my tendons, the shredded flesh in my shoulder. All these things screamed in my mind, but none of them were as powerful as the story itself. Not just my story, no. But THE story. The only one. 
the narrative that had curled my fingers to its purpose and was, even now, grinding me against my own body to see what I was made of. To see if I had what it took to make it to the end. Get away from us, Ashley whimpered, pushing her daughter behind her. Stay away, Ash, please. Please, God damn you. All I want is a life for my daughter. You shut your fucking mouth, I said, lurching forward. She might have dodged out of my way, and if she had, I would have gone sprawling across the floor. That might have been it for me. She could have done to me what I was about to do to her, and I wouldn't be able to stop it. But Ashley's one real weakness was her love for that kid, her daughter, Emily. She stumbled back when my bloody fingers reached for the throat of her dress and tangled her legs with her daughter's, sending both of them rolling across the floor. I fell on her in an instant, truly falling, too. My legs barely had the energy to support me anymore, and she managed to get a hand between my nasty little razor and her throat. Ash! She said, her own blood mixing with mine and splattering her face. She sputtered and blinked as it choked and blinded her. I freely sliced at her fingers, her palms, cutting her to ribbons. Please, stop! She begged. I severed a tendon in her arm, my arm. And this time we shared the pain. I could feel it deeply, as though it had been amplified twofold. Her left arm fell aside and mine went limp beside me dropping my face against hers. I felt the thump like echoing feedback. Then I could feel her inside me and myself inside her, sharing the same body again as though we weren't two different people, just as it had been when I first moved to this place. Her fear was palatable, delicious almost. It smelled like victory. My need to kill her was disgusting, outright horrifying to both of us. With her mouth and mind, she begged me to spare her. She told me about her child, Emily. She kept using the name over and over again. Emily, Emily, Emily. Emily, who wet the bed just one time and cried about it for a week. Emily, who learned how to melt her crayons on the stove and formed them into little wax people. Emily, who had to get a hug to go to sleep. She pushed these memories into my head and made me feel them. She forced silvery regret on me so sharp and thin it nearly slid right into my eye socket. But something had been decided. No matter what she did, the die was cast. The keys were falling. This life was mine. Mine. I slit her throat, cutting deep over the trachea and through her carotid artery. I slashed again and again, going deeper and feeling the cold fire of each cut in my own neck. Stroke by stroke, I killed this other self, slicing deeper until the nearly dull razor embedded itself in the wood floor and slipped out of my hand. I felt myself coming to the way a pond returns to stillness after a stone. Ripple by ripple, I became myself again, Ash Holmstrom, the me before I was married. The me of that winter day so long ago, normal, human enough covered in blood in this mist-suspended nightmare kneeling over my own murdered body. 
Her eyes, my eyes, were cold and colorless and dead. I gathered myself up and stood for just a moment before losing my balance and backstepping wildly across the floor. I hit the ground and slid like a basketball player selling a foul. Okay, I said. I'm done now. Good show, the strange man said. He was tall enough when he stood that I could see him over the podium, even laying down. To my right, the umbrella man hovered in silence. Would you like a hand? Sure, I said. He reached over and pulled me to my feet. It took me less than a second to realize his arms were about eight feet long, pushing out of his shirt sleeves like hairy pythons. He maneuvered me to the stage and let me sit. The muse was kneeling beside my dead body, caressing her face and sobbing gently. What the fuck is wrong with you? I asked. She turned and glared at me. I could see deeper than the suffused gold surface of her now. Not the typical through her, but actually inside her. Blackness roiled inside her like ink in an amber dipping jar. I saw it dance and push against the surface of her face, thickening the boils there. Some of them popped and bled down over her chin to leave smoking puddles on the ground. You ruined everything, she said. Why, you? You? You fucking philanderer? All you ever wanted from me was a few stories and an easy fuck, that's it! Nothing inspired. She... She wanted a child. Future generations just like me. A legacy. She stood and stormed over to me, fists clenched at her sides like a child. She even had her lips pursed outward. You think this is some kind of game? She asked. Do you know how old I am? How long I've waited for this moment? I don't give a shit, I said. You? The muse hissed. She clenched her fists and I felt them, the strands of air thicker and harder than I ever had before. In whatever place this was, they were almost visible. My flesh bent beneath the strain of them. My brain howled as the muse clenched her fists, clearly intent on crushing my skull with the things. Then the typewriter crashed above us. Twenty, two hundred, two thousand keystrokes all in a row and raining down overhead with such ferocity, I heard the walls shuddering. The muse relaxed her hands in an instant, casting horrified eyes at the house around us. The glow of her seemed to dim considerably. Ladies, the man said, Our transactions here are yet to be completed. I turned and saw him smiling, though it was more in the normal human fashion now than the curving, curling crescent moon I had seen on his face earlier. Though he did seem impatient and a touch scattered. The patterns on his suit were failing to hold together. The suit itself, in fact, seemed to almost blend into the space around him and made him both more and less material. 
than this nightmare version of my house. I followed his finger to the girl sobbing over her dead mother. Mommy? She was shaking, shaking the corpse as best she could with her tiny body. This isn't okay, Mommy. I can't wake up. I don't want to be asleep anymore. She seemed to notice we were all looking at her. The girl stopped shaking her dead mother and stood, turning to me and saying nothing. She looked at everybody in the room and started crying again. Hey, hey, I said, forcing myself to kneel down beside her. I wrapped my arm around the girl and wiped one of her tears away from her face. This will all be over soon, okay? Are... are you my mom now? She asked, sparing terrified looks between me and the corpse on the ground. I sighed and shook my head. Sorry, kid. I'm nobody's mother. I said. Can... can I stay with you? She asked. I don't have anywhere. I don't know where to go. I... I need my dad. I don't... She was hyperventilating. I don't know what to do. I think my mom is... It's like the neighbor's bunny was one morning I don't. I pulled her close. The smell of her was like a knife sliding right into the guts of me. But it wasn't real. It never would be. Just take a breath, all right? I said. The girl nodded and did as she was told. You're going to go with this guy now, okay? She shook her head violently. No! She screamed. I I can't. She hugged me harder now, her little arms making the wound in my shoulder bleed all the more. It felt almost real. Almost perfect. But beneath her skin was something else. The thin, insidious golden threads of air. The muse's little strings, buried in everything that glittered like gold. I pushed the girl to arm's length. You have to, I said, because you can't stay here. She was still sobbing. Look, everybody goes with him eventually. Your mom is already gone, see? The girl turned to find nothing more than the broad swath of blood Ashley's slit throat had left spilled on the floor. She hadn't seen the umbrella man spirit the corpse out of the room while she was hugging me thankfully. It might have made this all the harder. What if it hurts? She finally asked me, finally daring to glance up at the umbrella man. His face seemed more rotten now than it had even a short while ago, when it had nearly dragged me out that door into the mist. I squeezed the girl's shoulders. If it hurts, it won't hurt long, I said. The girl took a breath. What if I die? She asked. You can't die, I told her, because you were never born. She gave me a look unlike anything I have seen before or since, and I lifted her hand to the leather and the hooks of the umbrella man. Those rusty shards sank into her flawless little girl's skin, which bled freely in seconds. The girl touched the blood and held it before her eyes. Then she was floating upward, gently, 
A thing no less light than air and no more real than a memory. The last I saw of her, she was terrified. The door shut and only three of us remained. The odd man, the muse, and me. He stood beside the easel, and the muse had clambered up there to stand opposite him. I could tell by the look on her face that she was trying to figure out her next play. The man didn't seem concerned. He was favoring me with an inquisitive, unpleasant look. I have existed a long, long time as Schwamstrom, he said. I have never seen a woman bid goodbye to her own unborn child. Tell me, what was it like? I glared at him, feeling unsteady on my legs again. The sprain seemed to have healed, along with the rest of my injuries. Exhaustion had replaced them all to the letter, hanging around my shoulders like an anchor chain. It was like ripping off my own arm, I said. I turned, bent, and vomited. I could feel tears in my eyes, and I honestly wanted to just fall down and cry. But I could feel that I was still in the red zone. Not everything had been decided yet. I looked up at the muse. She was fixing me with a warm, acquiescent smile but I could see the darkness dancing behind her glowing blue eyes. And this is well earned, the man said, taking the picture of me off the easel. The moment it left the wood, the entire edifice of the stage shuddered and vanished with a crunch as though it had never been there. The man didn't so much as move. His feet were already on the floor, but the muse fell several feet and tumbled to the ground. She cursed and stood, brushing herself off. Humans always have such a banal idea of sacrifice until they see one made. But you truly exceeded my expectations, Ash, he said. All those threads... All those failures, and in the center, you, my wonderful little razor. He placed the painting in my hands. It was as hot as human skin. I don't know when I chose you, because I never know those things, he said. His eyes were full of wonder and quite large. The effect of his unraveling had continued. He was unspooling into the house around us, growing more ephemeral and more inhuman. But I remember you spying on me as I worked with young Michael from your vantage at the top of the old Compson house, where I had been called upon so often. And I wondered then if I felt you when I first came to West Virginia, when it was still rocks and fire and lakes of chemical water, a stray little piece amongst 
all those mismatched others a thing that wished to be so much she made herself real you did that to mike i asked him gave him that power urged him to to kill my friends oh no he said I just showed him the way and he did the rest. Much like you, he didn't even need a push. Just a bit of cheerleading. His grin touched his ears, or would have, if any ears remained on his head. Fuck you, whatever you are, I said. Call me. Edzuk, if you must call me at all, he chuckled, and I don't suggest you do, I consider our business done here, but I can always reopen the books. What business? I asked. The face I was looking at was both larger than the house and also resting in a spot just behind the black of my eyes. So infinitely small, it was larger than the universe. My sister Zogroth has a great woven webs, and I have my little razors. Ash, he said. Your muse is a gift she gave to the monkeys you were born from. A gift that grew too big for our own little purpose within the strands. But I chose you, Ash, and I chose Will. Because I saw the last little battle before your soul would take place in your head. And artists are just so utterly cruel to themselves. With that, he was gone, fading out of my vision like a sunspot. I was left alone with the muse and the painting of myself. I looked at the swirling colors as they came finally to rest, solidifying into my own bloody face. The only thing out of place was the red scarf around my neck, a bit of scarlet fabric that reminded me all too much of Ashley's slit throat and her sobbing child. Hey there, the muse said. My little ghost put her fingers on my chin and turned my weary head to look her in the eyes. She had a horny co-ed's coquettish smile. Her fingers traced their way along my chin coming to rest in my hairline and then along my shoulder. I slapped her. Hey! She protested, giving me a shocked look and touching the offended cheek. I looked at the painting and then at this dream version of my house, this blood-spattered nightmare of the great hall. The muse pushed me and I turned to look at her. She seemed apologetic almost immediately. I'm... I'm sorry about what happened, she said. All this go away, I said. 
I can't, she replied, drumming her fingers together. I'm sort of stuck with the medium at hand, and that's, well, that's you. Then shut up while I try to figure out what to do. I said, well, I could, I could help you figure out what to do, she said, dancing around me to stay in my line of sight. With that typewriter, you could do almost anything. I stopped and looked at her. The clatter of the typewriter had died down and I could feel her insidious little threads winding closer. Remember the girl? You could write yourself younger. Or, or, you could adopt one of the kids from the orphanage and bring them into your life. You know, you could even write her back into existence if you wanted. It wouldn't make a lot of sense, of course, but that doesn't really matter. Not as long as you're happy. Right? I knew she was running a game, but I couldn't quite figure it out. Then I looked back at the painting. The colors that had settled had now started to swell and shift. Subtle changes built in the eyes and cheeks of the me on the page. And then I realized what she was doing. Are you trying to make more of me? I asked, thinking back to the conversations I'd had with the others during the auction. The white hairs and brown hairs that all came from different paths of the same life. Just because they met here, in this place didn't mean the branches wouldn't split off again in the future. I glared at the muse and she blanched, looking around so I couldn't see her face. You fucking psychopath, I said, pointing at her. You're fucking unbelievable. Hey, she said, smoothing her dress and turning back to me. It's not a big, what are you doing, Ash, 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 hey, wait, hey, wait. What I was doing was walking to the fireplace with the painting. Hobbling, really. Though I didn't know if I was injured anymore or tired or just losing control over this little bubble reality I had created for this exercise. Had I created it? I can't think of whoever else might have. The muse grabbed my arm and tried to pull me back, though she had little in the way of physicality. Ash, Ash, please, baby, don't do this. She said, Look, I'll behave myself, okay? I just, if you break that, I'm stuck with you forever. Ash, Ash, I don't want to waste away in this fucking shithole town with you forever. God damn it. Fucking listen to me. Ash, please, please, please don't. Ash! I felt the threads of air coil around my throat and arms, threatening to rip me to pieces if I didn't relent. But the typewriter roared and they faded away as quickly as they had come. I turned to see her crumpled in a little pile on the floor, head on her knuckles and her forlorn eyes watching the painting as I threw it into the fireplace. God damn it, she said. The effect wasn't immediate. The painting burned a bit before all hell broke loose. Something like a tear split open in the throat of the hearth. And then the entire house began screaming. I couldn't hear the typewriter anymore, couldn't hear anything. The noise passed beyond sound. became a vibration that rattled my chest and made my bones feel like dust. 
the painting came alive in the fire as it burned. My face turned black and warped and then became three-dimensional. It pulsed and grew like a coal snake on the 4th of July, sparking and then growing into something massive and horrid. A woman-shaped afterbirth that crawled howling from the fireplace, dragging itself smoking and smoldering across the floor until it finally collapsed on the massive tile mosaic. Then it reared up its head, screamed, and the world went black. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. No fucking ads. God damn it. Fucking everywhere. I told you to buy a fucking shirt. Now look at us. No shirts. Too many ads. You hate the fucking ads. You hate my fucking voice. Go join the Patreon. It's just a dollar. One fucking dollar and you get no ads. Sweet fucking deal. Patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. You better fucking do it this time. Stay beautiful, kid. I sucked in a breath and stood up from my typewriter, feeling my cramping, aching hands curling against my chest even as I barely remembered to sidestep the hatch in the middle of the floor. It was closed anyway, though that hardly mattered. I don't think I would have been able to fall out of the garret in any case. As I watched, the paint on the windows boiled and stretched and warped and buckled. Then all of it billowed outward at once the film of it coming loose from the glass and wrapping up in itself in a great, thick strand in the center of the room. I tried to blink away the sunspots as this thing rolled around in the fresh sunlight. This strand formed a perfect Mobius for just a second, and then slipped into the spaces between the keys on the typewriter. I gave the thing a long, incredulous look, and then winced when a chunk of wood smacked me in the back of the head. I looked up to see daylight twinkling down at me through a fresh hole in the roof of the garret. 
I heard a heavy thunk and saw another board had fallen loose. Then something crunched and cracked and I turned to see the window facing downtown gun cotton had spiderwebbed into a thousand little splinters. What the fuck? I said. I was still reeling from just being up here again, even though I had the sudden feeling that I had never really left. Then the entire copper artifice of the weathercock crashed through the roof and destroyed the trap door in the center of the garret, leaving me to look clean down into the fourth floor attic. The garret itself lurched upward under my feet, nearly pitching me against the wall. Oh shit, I said. And without another thought, I hung my lantern on my arm, grabbed the typewriter, and did my damnedest to get my 50-year-old ass down the ladder and then the next set of stairs without tripping and breaking my neck. I heard glass burst the second I was out of the garret. Thankfully, the shards that rained over me were all too small and too slow to cut me. Even after I descended the ladder, the wood planks in the fourth floor attic were shifting beneath my feet, bucking upward underneath me and threatening to shatter even as I walked on them. They were exploding by the time I was on the third floor, sprinting for the stairs beneath a hail of falling splinters. Eventually, I made it down to the grand central hallway, which was its usual blood-free self. The house had stopped shuddering, but I ran all the way out onto the porch as a precaution, fully expecting the entire goddamn building to fall down around my ears. It didn't, though. I peered up around the edge of the patio awning to see if anything was going to hit me if I stepped into the front yard, but I couldn't get a good look. After a second more of waiting, I decided to just say fuck it and drop down onto the porch swing to the right of the door. Taking stock of myself, I realized I'd broken the lantern's housing so badly it'd have to be replaced, but that wasn't a big deal. The typewriter... A heavy old metal motherfucker, if there ever was one, was perfectly fine. I thought of the pages I'd left behind in the scramble and realized I had no idea what I'd been writing all this time, though I had been writing my ass off. Hey, she said, sauntering out onto the front porch wearing sunglasses, a too tight and too short sundress, and nothing else. She didn't even bother hiding the brightness of her skin. Though, out here, beneath the gray leaves of Old Town, she could shine as brightly as she wanted. My ghost was, by far, one of the least odd things in the neighborhood. As if on cue, one of the town's own ghosts, the wooden-plated things everybody called clatter babies, clicked and clacked its way through our yard. It turned its mispainted wood face to us and shook its limbs in some incomprehensible greeting. Go on, get you, the muse said, plopping down beside me. The clatter baby clicked something offensive her way. She could make herself understood to them almost as well as Bobby could. And then it rolled over our front gate and continued on through the neighborhood and out of sight. The muse turned to me. How you feeling? Fine, I guess, I said. I was. I think the house almost fell in on itself. She laughed. Is that why you're out here with that old thing? She asked. She reached over and tapped one of the keys. 
It slapped home against a page smeared so badly black by the ink ribbon it was ruined. She would have printed an F on fresh paper. You afraid the sky is going to come down, Chicken Little? Chicken Little yourself, I said, reaching over to pinch her leg. She hopped up and out of the way, sticking her tongue out at me and then opening the door to the house. I want chicken for dinner, she said, and wine. I've had a very, very hard day. Whatever, I said, waving my hand at her. She didn't slam the door, which I gave her credit for. She'd been finicky with me my entire life. My entire life. I looked at the typewriter in my lap and pulled free the sheet of ruined paper, turning it over and over in my hands. I could see the indents the keys had made, but little enough remained of the letters to make out anything I could understand. Eventually, I just gave up and crumpled the page into a ball, tossing it aside on the porch. Then I set the typewriter beside me on the swing, lay my head back, and fell asleep in the soft summer heat. Well, folks, that was Scars in Time. What'd you think? Have you ever found something interesting where you least expected? Have you ever done something awful, awful to live the life you think you deserve? Done something. Something off done some some awful. If you think you 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 deserve something off done some you some you deserve something off you deserve done something off you deserve something off you deserve you deserve something off you deserve something off you deserve something off you deserve something off you deserve something awful. Epilogue. Darcy finished massaging my hand and let it return to my lap. We shared a smile and then she turned away, picking up the tablet she'd brought in with her and making a few notes on my chart. It seems like the tendon issues you were having are basically done with, she said, setting the tablet aside. Though you absolutely must keep up with the stretches. That's what I get for using that heavy asshole typewriter, I replied picking my hand up and rubbing my wrist where she'd touched it. I found myself feeling over my ring finger a second later and then shivering when I found it empty, though I didn't know why. Still, the odd feeling lingered. Well, Tiffany reads all your stuff, and considering how she goes on about it, you should just keep up whatever it is you're doing, Darcy said. She checked her watch blinking at the overly bright backlight that flashed into her face. These fucking things, she mumbled. Is that your professional opinion about the typewriter? I asked. She rolled her eyes at me and moved the conversation on to a fresh topic. I'm having some friends in town for a few days to help with the clinic expansion up on the hill, Darcy said. They'd all love to get drunk with a famous writer lady. Yeah, until they meet me and realize I'm a morose wino. I replied with a chuckle. They're all doctors in Beckley, Darcy said, laughing herself. Every one of them to the number is a morose wino. 
you'll be in good company. I bet, I said, standing. Just consider it, okay? She said, setting the tablet down to scribble something on a piece of paper. She handed it to me and, reading it, I realized it was the date and time of her little get-together later this weekend. She didn't have to write down the where of it all. We'd be drinking at Colby's because she only ever went to Colby's. I could really use a bit of help on this one, actually. We're trying to woo an OBGYN to town, and I've got my eye on the one. Isn't Sean the town OBGYN? I asked with a laugh. I think that man's seen every pussy and gun cotton except mine and yours. And Tiffany's, knock on wood, Darcy said, laughing harder than me. These young bi girls will be the death of me. We were both near in tears a minute later, laughing until we got out the door. Promise me you'll come, she said. Okay, okay. She hugged me and I left enjoying being back out in the last of the year's sunshine. I could smell fall lingering just around the corner, which meant another six months all but trapped inside with her, and the deluge of calls I could expect from Su Yin as she prepared for her yearly trip down to Gun Cotton. It had become a tradition of sorts in the five years since I'd moved down here and started riding, really riding, again. The town wasn't perfect, downright creepy sometimes, in fact. But I got a lot of work done year-round and I couldn't complain, though living with my ghost could get lonely. I ran into Albert riding back down to my house on the incline. The boy had grown into a gangly, exceptionally tall teenager with the most adorable crush on me. He chatted my ear off about the rest of his crew at the orphanage on the entire trip down ending the conversation with an open invitation to see the house he and some girl were planning to rent together in the near future. Uh, hey, everybody. This is uh, Boomer Gordon from Gordon and Greek Electrical and Rehabilitation Services. That's not the name of your company, Boomer. Whatever. Just let me record this thing. Hello, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the West Side Fairy Tales, sponsored by Gordon and Greek. Get to the point, Boomer. We've got to do like ten of these today. You get to the point, Sean. Lord. Boomer. Sorry, Bobby. I'm here to remind you that the West Side Fairy Tales is provided free of cost to the people of the world, and we need your help to spread the word. Follow the West Side Fairy Tales on Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And make sure to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, um, share us with your friends and family so the West Side Fairy Tales can continue to grow. All right. Uh, is that good? Yeah. What the hell is a West Side Fairy Tale? Don't worry about it too much, Boomer. You'll give yourself nosebleeds. The leaves of Old Town were as gray as ever, and I found myself lingering on the bridge between my odd, 
special neighborhood and the equally odd, special town where I had made my home all these years. Never once since I was a teenager, since the death of my friends in that business with Mike and the subsequent time in the mental hospital, did I ever think I'd move back to West Virginia. But here I stood, legs firmly planted in the holler running between Gun Cotton's two mountains, big blue and bleak top, sunning myself and breathing in the fresh mountain air. The muse was waiting for me like she always was, dressed in something pointlessly risque and bouncing around the house like she owned the place. To this day, I don't know where she gets her clothes. I don't buy them for her, and she never goes anywhere. Somehow, though, she's always dressed in something modern, fashionable, and terribly trashy. Have you ever thought about how fun it would be if you were a detective? She asked me as I walked through the door. One of the stupid questions she was always trying to spring on me. As usual, she watched my face like a hawk as I answered. No, I said flatly, which was always my response to her inane what-ifs. She looked at me harder and then started pouting, wandering around the hall for a while and kicking at the old burn marks on the mosaic with the ball of her foot as she was wont to do. Hey, you remember that girl? The one Mike had all wrapped around his finger? She asked. I picked up the mail from the basket beside the door, flipping through a stack of paper as thick as my wrist. I went through the multicolored envelopes twice before realizing my brain had gone off track trying to remember that girl's name. Brenda, I think it was. Maybe Becky. Not really, I said idly. Look at all this. Fan mail, fan mail, fan mail. Who writes letters anymore? Everybody, that's who. Jesus. It's because you're always complaining about people not writing letters when you go on podcasts, stupid, the muse said. Now focus. That girl, you remember you basically saved her and then she wasted her life moving to North Dakota with some guy? That description of the situation is both generous and ingenuine. Congratulations, I said. One of the letters had stuck out to me. The envelope was a deep, royal purple and didn't have a stamp or a return address. Just my name, Ash Holmstrom, written in gold ink. Hey, where did this come from? It doesn't even have a stamp. Where does any mail come from, Ash? Someplace that I can't go. Now focus! She put a hand on her hip and pointed at me. Ash, what if... You had gone with her after high school. Like, what if she had some real bad personal demons just like you because of, you know, Mike being a rapist and all that, and you guys got together and bonded and just healed and stuff. Maybe you could have been the person in North Dakota with her. No, I said, sitting on one of the couches against the wall. It looked like any of the other four couches in the central hall, but... I always thought of it as my couch for some reason. I dropped the rest of the letters beside me and opened the purple one. You are so unimaginative! The muse pouted. I looked up at her. Maybe you're the unimaginative one, I said. You've been asking me these idiotic what-ifs for like four years now, and not a single one of them has been interesting enough to get me to bite. Her mouth dropped open wide. 
Oh my fucking God, Ash, she said. Fuck you. Really, fuck you. I can't even deal with this right now. She waited there until I looked at her again. Then fucking don't. What what do you want from me? I asked. She threw her arms up in the air and stormed out of the room. Why did I let him take your fucking wedding ring? God! She shouted back at me. I had no idea what she was talking about, but it was pretty much my day-to-day policy to just ignore her. I pulled the letter from the envelope. It was written in a tight, unpracticed, and almost childish hand. Ash. It read, There's a chance you don't remember me, but I'll always remember you. The day you killed my mother, you told me I couldn't die because I'd never been born. And you were right. If only you knew how right you were, though. There is a place that's all red, where the sky is always black. The moon there is a man's head, and every building is a kind of church. It's a place for all the forgotten things. Like in that Christmas movie my mom watched with me every year. But it's also a place for things that should never have been, or could never have been. A place where even unborn things can live. It's a place you can leave if you meet the right people and make the right deals. But the thing is, that place sticks to you and you can do the little tricks you pick up there anywhere once you know them. Even here, even in the normal place. You told me I couldn't die, Ash. You said I couldn't die because I'd never been born. Ash, you were right. See you around, Emily. I felt a chill go up my spine, though I didn't know why. People feel a connection to even mildly famous folks like me, like they know me. This wasn't the first letter I'd gotten from some crazy person trying to impress me or scare me or a little bit of both. It wouldn't be the last. Still, I decided to save the purple envelope to give to Bobby. If anybody could find out if this person was dangerous or not, it would be him. Something felt off about the envelope, however, and I realized it wasn't actually empty. There was still a heavy bit of something at the bottom of it. I turned the envelope upside down over my hand and felt something metallic land in my palm. It was a sharp, thick-bodied fish hook all covered in rust. It had snapped in half midway up the shank, and the rest of it seemed to be missing. I realized I was shaking. So badly, in fact, I almost dropped the damn thing into the couch cushions, and what a mess that would have been. I sat on my couch for a long while, thumbing the smooth sides of that odd little implement and racking my brains for the answers to a question I couldn't quite formulate. There was something lingering in my skull like a bit of fuzz, or a rough-hewn wall sitting just between me and the truth. I sat there pondering that, 
not quite noticing as the first gray autumn clouds obscured the sun outside my front door and stole away the bit of light that had found its way inside my home. The end. Scars in Time was created over two years from the summer of 2019 to 2021. Nearly every sound you've heard has been recorded, chopped, spliced, whittled, and screwed in Appalachia, from Sutton, West Virginia to Louisville, Kentucky, and many places between. Our episode art was created by Yui Breedlove, a Nashville-based artist born and raised in Ohio. We are honored and humbled by the support we've received over this season and seasons previous, donations of not just money, but also time, love, and recognition, without which this story may have never seen the light of day. I cannot thank you all enough for sticking through the entirety of this fucked up trip with me, and I can only hope you'll ride with me again when the call comes later this year with the release of Sin Carriers. Hopefully, when you meet Sue, Gato, Ducky, Elam, and the rest of these new characters, you'll welcome them into your hearts and homes as readily as you did Ash, Bobby, Darcy, and the Umbrella Man. Following is a list of our Patreon supporters, our small army that seems to grow immeasurably each year and whose kindness, curiosity, and voraciousness for new stories are like a wind beneath my wings. May they fly out from their shelter point, numbered 10 and 10 million more. And above and before all others, thank you, Sam. You're always there for me. And these are always, as ever, for you. Stay safe out there. In our curious child tier, we have Travis McQuivy, Rebecca Emma, Molly Riefler, Aaron Ansbach, Steve Eddy, Baker Wisnat. John Montgomery, Jessica Rabbit, Captain Obvious, Jason Clinton, Michelle Weisenberg, David Shackelford, Trish Barassa, Lisa McKay, Zach McMahon, Nancy Brooks, and Canadian True Crime. In our Marked One tier, we have Star, Stormy Weather, C.J. Johnson Jr., Angie Watson, Jay Field, Ryan Crum, Gemma Fisher, Gavin Johnson, Kelly Johnson, Rhiannon Elizabeth, Sid Smith, Esmeralda Torres, 
Lori Vasquez, Mary C., Michelle Mabel, Once Upon a Crime, Teresa Cochran, 1159 Media, and Angris Mechanicus. In our ascended faithful tier, we have April Phelps, Christina L. Lewis, Clinton Wright, Beth Lockamy, Marissa Garrison, Brittany Carr, Schmutz, Mary, Charlie Hiltebeitel, Story Machine, Jake Noble, Natalie Viegas, Ruth Levine, Colin, Dana Mora, Sean O'Neill, Jess DeSenso, Garrett Cardmill, and C.C. Howe. In our Imago tier, we have Sean, Rachel Herbers, Kent Crumley, Kevin League, Jason Wojnowski, Kendria Wells-Young, Matt Weaver, Rabbits Watching, and Slip Slider. In our Diocido tier, at the very height of support, we have Jess M.C., Melinda J. Bales, Nick Anderson, Jensen Guatz, Jason Young, and Emilio Rodriguez. Stay safe out there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson... A young crime reporter from Charleston is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, 
a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.